Good morning, everyone. Always great to be with you all. Uh, today we continue our uh, march through the kerygma, as Archbishop Aquila has asked all of us to do. Quick thing about that, so kerygma, if you didn't catch this in the previous weeks, kerygma means the basic gospel message. Right? And a great way to think about this is, well, we need to know this for two reasons. The first reason is because if you don't know the heart of the gospel and the basic story, you're always going to put the emphasis in the wrong place. Right? So when I was a focused missionary, Curtis Martin's a genius of the one-liner, and he would always talk about we have to put the emphasis on the right syllable. <laughs> right? Get it? Uh, and we get in trouble when we don't. And if you don't know the basic story, you will put the emphasis of your Christian faith in the wrong place. And you will be right, you know? You'll put an emphasis on something that's true, but you'll make it the center when it's really something that's fringe. So we've got to get that centerpiece right. That's the first reason. And it'll bring you joy. It'll transform your faith. It'll transform it. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. The other reason, right, is that you need to be able to share the amazing good news of Christianity with other people. Back in those days, we used to talk about the, the plane test. And the plane test was, you know, you get on a plane, and you're like me, you're a melancholic, so you don't want to talk to anybody, right? And those of you who are sanguine and do, you annoy the heck out of the rest of us, right? And... You get on the plane and you're reading and you pull out your Bible or you've got your book on Tres of Lisieux or whatever it is you're reading and the person next to you doesn't talk to you the whole flight. And then right at the end, the, the woman sitting next to you, you know, the pilot gets on the PA and the pilot says, hey, we're going to be landing in three minutes. And the person next to you says, I saw that cross around your neck and I saw that you were, you were reading that Christian book what does it mean to be a Christian? You've got three minutes. What would you tell them? What you should tell them, brothers and sisters, is the kerygma. There are different ways to do it, but the kerygma is the nutshell of the gospel. It's the basic good news. So today we're diving into that third part of that, right? The first week was creation is good. God made the world good. The second part last week was captured. That Satan, through our sinfulness and through his evil, captured the world. He captured each one of us. And then today we come to the really good news. Today's theme is the theme of rescue. So that's what we'll be talking about today. So somewhere around 2011 in London, a bunch of atheists got evangelical with their message, right? Atheists want other people to think the way they think. They're sometimes better about getting their message out than we are. And so a bunch of atheists in London, they did a campaign and they paid for all of these advertisements and then these huge uh, signs on buses. Uh, and the buses were driving all around London for, I think, a year. And the sign said, there probably is no God. Stop worrying and enjoy your life. 
There probably is no God. Stop worrying and enjoy your life. And, and that, that there's two stories. I want to tell that one and then the second one. And what I want to show you is that so commonly for us as Christians, we don't know how to tell people what Christianity is about. And even worse, we don't know how to live it sometimes. And so people have the totally wrong idea of what Christianity is. Another one that's a little closer to home, uh, there's a priest friend of mine who loves to tell the story of about a year ago, he was in his church, and it was after Mass, and he was talking to one of the regular parishioners. And she said, in true story, she said to him, she said, you know, Father, I come here because I want to be built up in community, and I just want to feel better about life. And my priest friend said to her, well, that's great. Those are great things, but I'm here to make sure that Jesus is at the center of that. And she literally turned to him and said, why do you always have to bring him up? <laughs> Friend. <laughs> I, th- I don't know how he answered that one. I think at that point I'd just be like, I'm, I'm going to go become Presbyterian. Um, but I think a lot of us, we might not say that. We might not say, why do you always have to bring him up? But, but these are signs. Both of those things are signs that you and I are not doing a great job about telling people what it actually means to be a Christian. And today we're going to get to the good news. You've heard me say this before, but I just love this paradigm. The gospel is not, it is not good advice. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. And I think part of the reason people in the culture don't want to hear from us, they're they're sick and tired of hearing from Christians. And I think part of the reason is because when we encounter the world, we're always kind of scolding them on how they should be living a moral life, which we're not wrong about. They should be. But who wants to hear that all the time? If you have a relative and every time they see you, they're like, stop living with your girlfriend, right? You just stop going to Thanksgiving. Like all I do when I see my family is they just tell me what a, what a miserable wretch I am. They, that's not me, by the way. I don't live with my girlfriend. Okay. But anyway, so what is it? So really quick, I want to recap last week. I don't know who you had last week, but I just want to recap really briefly. You can't understand the good news unless first you understand that there is bad news. Right? That the hardest people for me to work with as a priest are not people who have big sins. It's not people who have addictions. It's not people who are angry at God. Those people are great to work with. I love working with them. The hardest people on earth for me to work with are people who are apathetic. They don't need him. Because everything's great, because they've, they've numbed themselves into convincing their own hearts and minds that life's just fine. Right? I, I may have my problems, but life's great. Aside from traffic on I 25, you know, I, I've got a good life. So we've got to start this way. So, an, an image I love to use for this, right? What we talked about last week. 
uh, with sin and with captured, the, the companions of Christ, right, my religious community, my community of priests, we all love to bike, because I always say there's nothing better than a group of priests in spandex. Nothing better. <laughs> and when we go biking, if you're a cyclist, one of the things you know is that when you're biking, right, the, if the wind's at your back, you don't think there's a, a tailwind. So if I have a tailwind, and if we're biking up Deer Creek Canyon or on the South Platte Trail, if there's a wind in my back, you know what I always think? I am in such good shape. <laughs> I, I, this has happened so many times for me. We'll be biking up Deer Creek Canyon, and I'm like, man, I, I have been eating a little better. <laughs> like, lost a few of those priestly pounds. Not looking so bad in spandex these days, right? And you don't know how big of a tailwind you have until you turn against it. And in cycling, then you turn around, and you realize there's been this huge wind at your back. And sin is a lot like that. If you're just going along with it, you don't even know it's there. The only time you know how strong sin and how powerful sin is in our life is when we turn against it. And that's when you feel how strong it is. And so last week, right, just to brief kind of wrap up what we did last week, the way Satan works, right, he holds us as slaves to our sins. Right? The, the letter to Titus has a great line about this. So Titus, in Titus 3, St. Paul says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Right? When, when my anger, which is a passion, my anger comes up in my soul, I'm a slave. I can't control it. When self-pity, which is a passion, comes up in my soul, I just can't control it. It holds me captive. I'm a slave to my self-pity. You can insert any of the passions. Right? Jealousy or envy. Lust. Right? All these different things, they make us slaves. Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by men and hating one another. That's slavery. All of life is about the people that I can't stand and the people who are against me. This is how Satan holds the world in slavery. And more deeply, Right? There's three things I want to just bring back to your minds. There's three things Satan does to every one of us that I think are at the top of the list that he does to keep us in slavery. So he accuses us. The word Satan means accuser. And so every one of us, when we know we don't measure up to a certain standard, Satan whispers in our ear and he says, you know what, it's your fault. That broken relationship you have with your sibling, it's your fault. Maybe you feel like a failure sometimes in your job, and Satan will accuse you. You're lazy. There's a fill in the blank. All of us can have that. The second way is discouragement. Life's so hard. The odds are stacked so much against you. Right? The world is going to hell in a handbasket. You might as well 
just give up. I, I told my staff, I think I've been living in that place the last month. Where Satan got my ear and he was whispering discouragement in it. And I listened to him. It was awful. And then the third way, right, is that he lies to you. And there's all kinds of lies. Lies are powerful things. But each of us has, Satan has a favorite lie for every one of us. But at the end of the day, that lie that Satan tells you, what it comes down to, and you know this, is the lie somehow at the end of the day says, you are not worthy of being loved. You're a bad father. You're not a good spouse. All, that, all the things people see about you, they're all fake. You're like, Father Brian, this is about rescue. This is the good news this week, right? <laughs> We're getting there. But if you don't feel that, right? If you don't feel that in so many people in our world, we have numbed our society. Satan doesn't want us to know that it's even happening. He wants that road into despair to be the most comfortable ride you've ever had. We've got to face the bad news if we're going to understand the good news. So here's the good news. And if you don't, and if you, if you get the bad news, brothers and sisters, then when you encounter the good news of our Savior, that's when, it, that's when you will become an annoying Christian. So I always say, You'll be an annoying Christian because everywhere you're, you go, you'll have that grin that goes from ear to ear and people are like, don't touch me. <laughs> you'll be on a plane, right? And someone has their headphones on and you're just like, want to talk? Because <laughs> 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 you won't be able to help it because you'll be so full of joy and life that you'll just radiate the goodness of the gospel. So the good news, there's a lot to it, but it's very simple. And today we want to talk about the, the crucifixion and resurrection specifically. You see, we oftentimes get the problem wrong. I think the pro we get the, the problem of our life, and Satan wants us to think this. The problem with my life is that I don't have enough money. The problem with my life is that I don't have enough people who think I'm the most amazing person ever. The problem with my life is that I'm 10 pounds overweight. The problem in my life, fill in the blank. That is not the problem of your life. There's something much deeper. Right? And if we understand that bad news, we understand that we'll get to the good news. So a lot of people say, so why is Jesus on the cross? This is it the heart of the good news? Why is he up there? A lot of people will say, you know, well, Jesus is up there because he wants to show us that God loves us. It's true. That's a huge part of the good news. We're going to try to tie that in in a minute. But it's bigger than that. A lot of people will say, well, Jesus, you know, he's up on the cross because he wants to give us a good example. And that's true. St. Thomas Aquinas says that. But it's much more. The New Testament, if you've been at Lourdes for a while, you've heard me preach on how the New Testament loves to use the language 
of sacrificial offering for the cross. Temple liturgical language. So the New Testament loves to say, and this is, again, this is a huge part of the good news, that my sacrifice for my sins before God is not a bull or a goat, which is why we have a bull and a goat right here, Leviticus 27. That's my sacrifice. More costly than any sacrifice that's, that's ever existed. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours is at the heart of the good news. But today I want to zero in on the real, the thing the fathers emphasize. The New Testament does as well. And simply this. It said our, the, the enemy who held us as slaves has been defeated and captured. The enemy that held you and I as slaves has been defeated and captured. Here's an uncomfortable image for this. Father John Ricardo uses this, and I think he's dead on, but it's uncomfortable. There's a growing awareness right now in our country that there's a huge amount of sex trafficking in the U.S., Colorado's at the top of the list, by the way. And Father Ricardo says, you want to understand the gospel message? This is maybe the best way to understand it. These young girls who have been kidnapped and held in slavery. And imagine, imagine if that was you. No one knows about it. You have no family. You have no hope. You have no way that you can fix the problem yourself. You're contained in a place of darkness and despair. And one day you hear a bang at the door. And this time, it's a rescuer. Right, this time, it's, the cops have shown up, and the one who held you in bondage has been captured. The New Testament tells us that that's what happened on the cross. The one who held me in slavery, the one who had me in chains, has himself been chained. Twice in the New Testament, Paul uses the image of a Roman triumph. Here's what a Roman triumph is. It actually, one great example is this happened with Julius Caesar. All of Rome is terrified. There's a huge war with Gaul. Caesar goes off to war. And this enemy that they feared, the king of the Gauls, Caesar defeated him. And what the triumph is, is that when a general wins a huge war... There's a, there's a magnificent parade in the streets of Rome. So Caesar comes back, and he has all of his captives in chains. And at the end of the line, the very end, the enemy who scared everyone to death that we were all terrified of, the enemy that scared all the Romans, is literally chained inside of a cage and has been stripped naked and humiliated. 
And so the people of Rome, right, there's this incredible joy because the one that we were so afraid of, the one who terrorized us, has been captured. In Colossians 2, St. Paul says this. He says that on the cross, God disarmed the principalities and powers. Those are demons. And he made a public example of them, triumphing over them in Christ. Triumphing, the, the verb there is triambeuane. And it's that very image. That on the cross, the moment where Jesus was so humiliated was actually the moment that he captured our enemies. That's not good advice. It's good news. The one who whispers in your ear and tells you that you're worthless, the one who tells you that God's mercy is so great that he can save everybody else in this church except for you, that liar was captured on the cross. And he was publicly put to shame because of the one who loves you. That's good news. It's really good news. If we actually believe that, right? This is the battle for all of us. Is it so oftentimes in my life I'm just so tempted, I get so distracted by all my problems that are in front of me. Today's Sunday, and I, I, know, I, could, you, you're, I know you're feeling it, you're like, this is one of those homilies, we could be here till two. Um, <laughs> just like every time we get FB. Um, this is so powerful, but I wanna wrap this up really quick here. My community, every Saturday night we, we celebrate a meal that we call uh, the Lord's Day Meal. And there's a prayer we pray every Saturday night, and we say, today we set aside the concerns of the week that we may honor the Lord and his resurrection. Today we put aside our labors that we may honor the Lord and remember the eternal life to which he has called us. You know what I do on Sundays? I forget all the other junk I have to do. And I remember the only thing that really matters is that I was a slave. <laughs> and the one who held me captive has been captured. Finally today, you know, God goes beyond that. He doesn't just rescue you. That, it would be a beautiful story whenever we hear of people being rescued from something. It's an amazing story. You know what never happens? Is the person who's rescued is never adopted by the person who rescued them. But that's what the gospel is. God didn't just save you from the evil one. That wasn't enough for him. He didn't just capture your enemy. He captured your enemy, shamed him, and then he said, by the way, you are my son. You are my daughter, and I love you. 
And you were brought home into the family of God the Father. Sunday is the day we remember that. Last day, I'll leave you with this quote. So this is from an 8th century monk named St. Theodore the Studite, if I'm canonized. Please fight for that title. It actually doesn't mean that, but it just sounds so awesome. St. Brian the Studite. Okay, here's what he says so powerfully. Speaking of the cross, this was the tree on which Christ, like a king on a chariot, destroyed the devil, the Lord of death, and freed the human race from his tyranny. This was the tree on which Christ the king, like a king on a chariot, destroyed the devil, the Lord of death, and freed the human race from his tyranny. This was the tree upon which the Lord, like a brave warrior, wounded in hands, feet, and side, healed the wounds of sin the serpent had inflicted on our nature. A tree once caused our death, but now a tree brings life. Theodore goes on and on. Brothers and sisters, there's good news. Whatever's going on in your life today, whatever you're stressed about, whatever anxieties are happening in your life, you were a slave that is now a son. You are a slave, or someone who was once a slave, who is now a daughter. And whatever problems you may encounter, whatever lies may be in the world, Christ has redeemed you that you might live in the Father's house forever. Jesus, may we never forget that. May we never turn the good news just into good advice. But Lord, may we know the joy of your redemption. And Jesus, may we dwell in the house of God forever.